Welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. Last week we began our sermon series to start the year called Back to the Basics. January is a bit of a reset of sorts for people, right? It's, it's time to make some changes to help us look ahead. Might be some, you know, maybe need to cut some carbs out, some calories, and, and maybe instead need to do some cardio, right? Uh, there may be a, bit, a little bit less uh, watching movies, and football is, is diminishing. We're having less of that as it goes. I saw some of you had some, like, Bengals stuff or whatever on. I don't know if they're playing today. I don't really pay attention to that stuff. But um, I, I wish you well, I guess, as a Browns fan, um, the best for you. And, um, and so things like that. And, you know, the, that last week of December, between Christmas and New Year's, it's just kind of a, you get to relax, hopefully, and, and not a whole lot going on, and you can watch two, three, four movies in a day, and no one bats an eye. If you do that in the middle of January, people begin to worry about you. You have no direction for your life. You need some vision. But that last week of, of December, you can kind of get away with those things. But now we're trying to create healthy habits, and not just for our presence, but also thinking about our future. You know, I want to I wanna be at my best not just so I enjoy my health now, but so that when I'm older, I can enjoy life a little bit more, right? I choose healthy options to think about my future, and the same is when we think spiritually. We need spiritual health. We're thinking about, obviously, our future eternal security. That's important to think about, but we want to be spiritually strong for those that rely on us, our friends and our family and our, our, even our coworkers. Uh, somebody has to be reaching out to them. Somebody has to be a good example and a model of what a Christian looks like. And so that is why we are starting this year back to the basics. What are the basic disciplines of our faith? And last week we looked at reading the Word of God. How did we do this week? Did we, did we feel like we did better? Was it, was it an increase in reading? Raise your hand if it was an increase in reading for you. Okay? How many felt like God spoke to you through the Word of God? Something cut through for you. Okay? It's okay if you didn't. It takes practice. All right? No one's perfect at this. But the more we do it... You can only get better the more that you do it. And uh, did anybody, did you text your accountability friend who, who texted the person? If you're sitting next to your accountability partner and they did not text you, I give you permission to poke them right now and say, hey, I need you. I need your help. Where were you at? And I remind you to keep going with that. Because we said last week there's, there's power in the Word of God. We, we read it not just for some, uh, you know, religious offering, we, we do this because it, we know it gives us strength, it gives us wisdom, it trains us in our life. We have, to be, we have to be hungry for training. We have to be hungry for the Word of God. And I use that word hunger today a bit ironically as we look at our next topic. Um, we're going to look at the discipline. I, I don't think I can call it a basic. This is a little bit more than a basic, but it is a discipline and talking about fasting. I want to make sure no one was leaving the room as I said that. Okay, everybody's still here. Great, great. Uh, fasting, this is, um, this is a challenge, but it is a key discipline, a key fundamental of our faith that we probably don't use quite enough as we should sometimes. And uh, we're going to look at this discipline. Uh, I don't think there's really many sermons on fasting, if I remember. It's probably because people like to keep their congregation growing and alive. Um, but this is more of a, you know, that, that's like a foundations to, you've heard of like Christianity 101. That should be 701, 801, right? That's a, that's a higher level of Christianity. Um, but I, people think it's, it's for those who want some extra credit in their life of Christianity. But I think that every follower of Christ needs to know every weapon 
in our arsenal to defeat the enemy. And that includes fasting. And I'm going to show you all over Scripture um, the use of fasting by disciples and followers of Christ in their personal walk with God. Today's message is called The Secret Weapon. The Secret Weapon. Um, just, just hearing that word fasting, it just makes you hungry all of a sudden, doesn't it? Uh, it makes you want food. But if you didn't know fasting, with the definition for that, it means to go for a period of time without eating food. It could be a certain amount of hours, could be a certain amount of days. It's abstaining from food to choose instead to spend that time seeking out God. And we need to remember that the reason we fast is not just to deprive ourselves of something, but it's to instead spend that time that we would have prepared the meal and uh, cooked the meal and ate the meal. Instead, spend that time in the Word of God, uh, or maybe with worship music on, or maybe on our knees praying, crying out for more of God. It's an intense desire to seek out the Lord. And I know we think this is only for the really spiritual believers, right? The people that binge watch The Chosen and they only listen to Carrie Job and they go on all the retreats and the conferences and all the tent revivals, that's where they're at. No, this is for any person that claims to be a, a disciple of Jesus. And um, I want to I show you how we know this. Look at our first scripture today, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 16. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, he says this, he says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. All right, so how many of you would say that you're a disciple of Jesus? Hopefully a lot of hands are raised right now, right? If not, we're going to pray for you afterwards. You can become a disciple today. There's a chance, okay? But we are all disciples. We're all followers of Jesus. Who Jesus is speaking to right now in this passage is his disciples. And notice he says the first four words. He says, and when you fast... He doesn't say, if you fast, if you choose to do that, if, if you want to do that. He says, when you fast. Earlier, I think it's a couple, uh, earlier in that passage, he's talking to them about when you pray. He quotes the Lord's Prayer in that passage. He says, and when you pray. None of us are debating whether we should be praying to God or not, right? But yet we'll debate on whether we should fast or not. And when you fast. We're all supposed to take time to fast. So starting here, Jesus says this, and then he explains, he instructs how, how the disciple should fast. Because he's explaining a different way than the normal Jewish tradition. The Jewish fasting would require abstinence, not only from food, but also from doing things such as anointing your head with oil to prevent dry skin. We would just consider that personal hygiene, Right? Just being able to freshen up, get yourself ready to, for the day. Because then with Jewish tradition, it was obvious to people when you're fasting. Your appearance made it very clear. But Jesus is saying, actually keep everything else that you're doing with your appearance the same. 
Because the point is not for people to notice and compliment that you're fasting because then you've already received your reward. The reward of getting noticed and praised by others, but if you do it in secret so that it's only between you and God, he will reward you. I don't know if this is a struggle for anyone else, but it always feels like I want people to know when I'm doing good things, right? Does anybody else struggle with that? We live in a society right now that like, if you do something great, but no one knows, did you really do something great? It's kind of how our society looks at it. But God is saying, no, if no one else knows about it, the greatest reward is that I will see it. Think about this. I heard this in a sermon yesterday. The things that no one has seen in this lifetime will receive the greatest reward in heaven. Think about that for a moment. It's very counterculture to how we think. If no one knows, I'm going to let them know what I did so that I get the praise. And it's most important to receive the praise from those that we love the most. Think about when you were in school or, or the different achievements that you had. Maybe something in school, you had good grades or you, you had great athletic ability, whatever it is. Who did it mean the most when you received their reward and their praise from? For me, it wasn't if it was some random coach or teacher. It was if my parents knew. When my parents saw what I did and, and they were proud of me, that, made, that meant the most to me. Think about that with God. I don't care if a random stranger knows what I did or I post it on social media. The fact that the God of the universe that calls me his son, the fact that he and he alone knows it, that should be enough for me. I got one amen on that. Kind of makes me sad. Thank you. The fact that the God of the universe... He's the only one that knows it. It's enough. All right, I'll move on. God is teaching. Jesus is teaching them about fasting in chapter 6. And two chapters before, in chapter 4, he himself goes on a fast. You might be familiar with this passage. Let's read the first two verses. Jesus has just been baptized by uh, John the Baptist in water. Look what it says, the, verse, the first two verses of Matthew 4. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I love that scripture. Um, that it, it, Matthew felt the need to tell us that after not eating for over five weeks, Jesus was hungry. You know, it just feels like that would have been implied. But just so we all know, Jesus was hungry after that, okay? Truer words were never spoken. Um, after, after that, look at the next two verses, three and four. It says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, we're not going to read the whole story this morning, but... If you look into it for yourself, over and over, Satan is trying to tempt Jesus with offering the power of this world. And every time Jesus responds in the fight, he is repeatedly saying, it is written. It is written. What did we say last week? The word of God gives us strength. I find it interesting that Jesus, who is the word of God, it would have been completely understandable for him to, instead of saying, it is written, just say, my father has spoken to me this. 
But he, of all people, he remain, would remain grounded on what the word of God, the scriptures that already had been said. I believe that that first one is from back from Deuteronomy. It is written, even Jesus would stand firm on the word of God that was already spoken. And then it says in verse 1, look at verse 1 again. Jesus was led, tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And then in verse 3, it says the tempter came to him. So verse 2, between verse 1 and 3, 40 days have passed. And in that time of preparing to be tempted, Jesus chose to fast. To spend that time alone with God, fasting. And we know that God, that he prayed to God during this time, but specifically it emphasizes Jesus fasted 40 days. And our first point this morning is that, number one, fasting prepares you for temptation and testing. Fasting will help prepare you for temptation and testing. Think about when we fast and we give up food, when we have not had food for a while. What are the results for you physically? You feel weak, right? It, it makes you crave food. And we all know that we, we need food, right? If we go long enough without food, we could die. Now, a lot of times we think it will take only a few hours of no food that we'll die, right? Sometimes we're like, I need this food right now, and if I don't, it's over for me. I'm going home to Jesus. If I, I ordered my food 15 minutes ago, where is it? I'm going to starve to death. These are things that we say, right? I hope you know they're not true. You could, you could spend weeks without going without food, and you would, you would be able to survive. It doesn't always feel pleasant, but you would survive. And we, we become very desperate in this moment, but the point of fasting is to change what we are the most desperate for. I may say, I, fe I feel physically weak, so now I have to rely even more so on God I might need this food, but more importantly, I need to be focusing on God. I need God more in my life today, more importantly, than I need food. And if you're struggling with a temptation, this might be a discipline that you need to increase in your life. There's a hunger for something else that doesn't glorify God. There's, there's this roadblock. There's this obstacle. There's this, just this, the one thing that is tripping you up in life that you can't seem to get past. This might be your answer. This might be a discipline to cultivate. Because Jesus, the, the master strategist, he chose this spiritual discipline to deploy at this time to prepare for an all-out attack from the enemy. Fasting is the weapon that forces us in a place of desperate surrender to God. That's why the Bible says when we are weak, he is strong. It's not because he gets out of enjoy any enjoyment out of us being weak. It's because we begin to rely more and more on him and less and less on our own ability. It prepares you for temptation. And we have to be careful because sometimes if if we don't choose to spend more time with Jesus, we will get weaker in the spirit. Might be strong in the physical, but be weak in the spirit. And I want to show you an area, a person in the Bible, who is struggling with temptation. Look at Daniel chapter 6. you got your Bible, you can turn there. 
There's a lot of situations and scenarios in the Bible where people choose to fast and seek God. Let me show you this one in Daniel. Daniel's a man that's, uh, he's moving up the, the rankings of governments. God has given him great favor where he is. He's made the other officials and uh, the other government officials very jealous. They want to get rid of him. And the fact that he keeps moving past them as far as superiority. Let's read from Daniel chapter 6, verse 6. It says, Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petitions to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. All right, so the officials, they bring this new law because they know that Daniel regularly will go and pray to his God. And they wanted to catch him in, in some sort of rule and enforce it against him. And then throw him in the lion's den and get rid of it. And the king would be able, wouldn't be able to change it. As it says, it would be something that by the law of the Medes and the Persians, it cannot be revoked. Even though Darius would not want to intentionally inflict harm on him, they tried to create this. So the officials, they enact this law. And then, of course, they catch Daniel in the act of praying which wasn't hard to do. He didn't really hide it. And then let's look at what happens next. Verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace. Listen to this last verse here. The king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. So Darius signs this foolish decree, and it puts his friend's life in jeopardy. And then he orders Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den. And that night, he spends the night fasting, concerned for Daniel. A lot of times we look at the story, and we look at it from Daniel's perspective, but I think we actually a lot of times can relate to Darius because often we allow temptations to speak into our life and we enable them and we allow a temptation to get a hold of us and then we have to pray and fast in order for God to take it away from us. Our second point today is that we are to fast proactively, not just reactively. 
There are some things I believe that if we don't pray and fast for proactively, we will be praying and fasting against them reactively. Does that make sense? That's not a threat. That's not me saying that God is vengeful and he's going to force bad things on you if you don't fast. I'm just saying when we don't focus our attention to God, we open up ourselves to temptations that wouldn't normally hinder us when we neglect God in our decision making. I believe that if, if Darius was closer to God, if he, had, if he had come to God with, hey, the, the officials are giving me this, this uh, rule to enact, should I do this? But those officials knew what to say. Oh, King Darius, live forever. Let your rule reign forever. I think pride was rising in his heart and there had not been prayer and fasting. And so he chose to make this decision that would glorify and edify himself instead of thinking about God and what God would do in this situation. Fasting can break down your desire for lust and pride and to be quick to anger. It can change your appetite and remind you of what we need most importantly. It's never been so quiet in here before. <laughs> look, at what, look what that verse says again. Look at verse 18. It says, The king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. This was an evening that Darius had an encounter with God, getting right with him. First of all, he went to his palace. He went to a place where he would not be distracted. People could not bother him. Guards would set up there and prevent anybody from getting to him. Then it says that he spent the night fasting. So it means he was not eating anything, no room service, no snacks, nothing. And not only that, but it says there were no diversions, meaning there was no entertainment, no music, no girls, nothing, just him. And then it says that sleep evaded him. How many times does God try to get, your whole, get a hold of your attention at night, right? And you're like, you want to hit the snooze button on God? It doesn't work very well. You can try. Um, but he usually knows how to override that. It's not that God doesn't want you to have sleep. It's usually the time where we're the most quiet. The least is happening. Hopefully your kids are sound asleep. They're not bothering you at that time. Hopefully your phone and your electronics are, are gone in a way and not making noises to interrupt your thoughts. And God is able to get a hold of your attention. Darius gets alone to pray to God. And if you know how the story ends, Daniel is safe through the night as Darius is fasting and praying for him. And the next morning, Darius throws in those men who had accused Daniel. And he says, Darius wrote to all the peoples, all the nations and languages for people to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. I encourage you to fast for yourself to get closer to God proactively. If you say, hey, Matt, I don't really have much going on in my life. I don't really have anything that needs prayerful attention right now. Perfect. That's a great time to fast and pray and get closer to God. There will be times when we need to pray and fast for situations. That's going to happen. But we need, to, we need God to work in situations that are beyond our control. But we need also God just times of focus and hearing his voice more clearly. The more things you got going on in your life, the more time you need spent with God. 
Let me show you one more situation here where a battle arose in the beginning of the Old Testament. You can turn to Judges 20 if you're following along today. In Judges 19, uh, there was a terrible incident that took place uh, in the people of Israel. I'm not going to get into the gory details. You can look that up for yourself. But Israel was made of 12 different tribes, 12 different children of Israel or Jacob. And a great wickedness took place in the city of the tribe of Benjamin. And all the people of Israel heard about it, and they, they came and they approached the people of Benjamin. And they said, this is, this is a terrible thing. We have never heard of something so unspeakable. You need to bring those men that did this terrible thing, bring them to us so that they will be judged. Unfortunately, the, the officials of Benjamin said, no, we're, we're not going to do that. We're not going to cooperate with you. And so the other 11 tribes decided to, to take action and, and bring war to Benjamin in, in the city of Gibeah. And so the rest of Israel, they get together, they bring 400,000 men of war. The tribe of Benjamin, they have only 26,000 men. But the Bible says they had 700 men from Gibeah who were left-handed, and they could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. I love when the Bible gives us descriptions like that. I'm like, can I get a movie like this, showing me this type of stuff, you know? And so they go up to war. They draw, draw the battle lines. And, and, and the first battle, they came out, and, and the, the Benjaminites, they, they destroyed 22,000 men of Israel. Shouldn't have been a fair fight, but they, they go on a route there. Look what it says in verse 23, after the defeat. It says, the people of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until the evening. And they inquired of the Lord. They said, shall we, again, shall we again draw near to fight against our brothers, the people of Benjamin? And the Lord said, go up against them. All right, so at this point we think, well, they might have got us the first time. But the Israelites, they went back to the Lord. There's been no sin, nothing recorded here. They regrouped. And God said, go up again. So here's the comeback, right? Here's the comeback. Verse 24. So the people of Israel, they came near against the people of Benjamin the second day. And Benjamin went against them out of Gibeah the second day and destroyed 18,000 men of the people of Israel. All these were men who drew the sword. Then all the people of Israel, the whole army, went up and came to Bethel and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offering and peace offerings before the Lord. And the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, ministered before it in those days, saying, Shall we go out once more to battle against our brothers, the people of Benjamin, or shall we cease? And the Lord said, go up for tomorrow, I will give them into your hand. This is kind of a tough passage because from what we can tell, the people of Israel, no disobedience, no sin, and that they go up to a battle and they get defeated. Doesn't seem right. People of Israel go back to God and they say, we've obeyed you, what do we do now? We're seeking you again. It made me think for a moment how do we respond to God when we've obeyed him and we still lose a battle? It's a really hard thing to rectify. It's a hard thing to come back to God in obedience. There's a difference, but there's one difference between the first defeat and regroup and the second defeat 
Both times they wept. Both times they inquired of the Lord. But what does it say in the second time? They sat down, fasted, and they offered a sacrifice. They fasted and worshiped before God, and that led to the breakthrough. Our third point today as we close, fasting can bring victory to a place of former defeat. Fasting, there is power that it brings where there was once defeat, there was once darkness, it brings hope and victory because there's something about our desperation that moves the heart of God and unleashes the power of heaven. It says specifically, they sat before the Lord, they fasted. They sat before the Lord and they fasted. You know another way to say that? They waited on the Lord. They waited on the Lord. The Bible says, when we wait on the Lord, we will renew our strength. Those who wait on the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait on the Lord. There's something about waiting on God. And they focus their attention on nothing else, not even food, but focus on God and said, we need an answer from God. We need assurance of victory from God. They asked, should we go up again? God said, go up tomorrow. I will give them into your hand. I can't explain it all, but there's something about surrendering to the Lord that wears down the work of the enemy. Fasting brings progress, it brings momentum, it brings victory where we had not seen it before. I don't know what you've been praying for and believing for in your life. Maybe you've been praying for years for a family member to come to Jesus. Maybe you've been praying for healing for yourself or for a friend and you've not had good diagnosis. You you haven't received good reports yet. Maybe you're praying because you, you have thoughts or you know someone that deals with depression and suicide and you keep praying and praying, but you're not seeming to get those answers. Can I suggest trying something new? Can I suggest choosing to fast before the Lord? If you're truly tired about where you are right now, you're, you're tired of the same results and the same things, why not try something else? Why not try a different discipline that God has given us to break through the power of the enemy? You can find victory where you once found defeat. It's the secret weapon. It's a secret because it's not something that's between me and other people. It's supposed to be between me and God. I know the spiritual discipline is tough. I know, I know I'm teaching about a difficult thing today, okay? I'm hoping attendance won't drop after this week. I promise next week I'll preach on something where you can do a different spiritual discipline and eat pizza at the same time. I will find one for you, okay? I promise. But I only bring this to you because, first of all, it is found and established in the Word of God. And Jesus used this discipline. He taught about it. He experienced it. Why shouldn't we? If we need to boldly need a move of God, if we are desperate for a move of God in our life and we're not testing out fasting, why? And I want to be practical for a moment as we fast. We we know that Jesus fasted 40 days to resist the enemy. You can fast 40 days if you want. I'm not asking that of you. I have not done that. I hope to never do that, but maybe God will call me to it one day and I will have to say yes. But right now, right now, I'm just hoping that we could fast a day, an evening, 
Two of those times that we looked at, those were not 10, 20, 30-day fasts. Those were people spending the night saying, I'm not having a snack, I'm not eating dinner, I'm not doing those things, I'm spending that time on God. A lot of times, what, what's the phrase? We, we overestimate what, how much we can do in one day, and we underestimate how much we can do in one year. Sure, you can fast for a couple of days in a row if you wanted to, but I just wonder if you fasted for 10 or 12 hours at a time, and you did that regularly once or twice a month. Maybe that would be the same amount of discipline in your life. Brent, you can come up and play keys as we close. That, that same progress, it feels greater in the grand scheme of things. Sometimes we're fasting for circumstances, but sometimes we're fasting for a spiritual deposit. I can't say for, for myself personally, my experience is limited, but in my experiences, when you go on a fast, you're not seeing angels and demons all of a sudden like you haven't before. In fact, a lot of times I feel worse for a little bit. And the next day after fast, I don't all of a sudden feel better and, and, and feel like God's made progress, but it's a spiritual deposit in your life. And every time, it could be weeks later, it could be months later, something happens in my life and God says to me, that's why you fasted. That's, that's what that was for now. You're pulling that encounter with God into your present situation to help you be there with you right here in this moment. So this morning, I'm encouraging you not to think about fasting as some distant, difficult task for someone else that's spiritually stronger than you. You have the ability. You know that? It is not out of your reach. It is not unattainable. Why don't you stand up with me as we close? As we close, I want to give you an opportunity just for a moment to reflect and think about an actionable step that you can take. Last week, I asked you to find someone to make you accountable in prayer or in, in the Word of God. I'm not going to ask you to find an accountability partner for this. But I want you to think about for a moment with God praying. Is there a time in your schedule in the upcoming weeks or month that is an open evening? It's a more free day at work. There's a day where I don't have to do a ton of work and I could fast lunch or there's not a lot going on with the family at evening and I could fast that evening. I want you to, with God, if you gotta get your calendar out of your phone, that's fine. But let's just take a moment with God and say, how, where is an opportunity for me to spend time that I would spend elsewhere and be distracted by something else and spend that time with you. I'm gonna give you one moment, I'm gonna pray. I'll come back and close in a moment. But God, we thank you for this spiritual discipline that you've given us. You've not given us to torture us or to penalize us. You've given us because you, you want us to realize our deep need for a father and a savior. And so I pray that you would speak to us in this moment, just for a moment a time where we can get closer to you, focus our time and attention on you, and less about our needs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just take a moment here before we close. Thank you for listening to today's message. The gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, 
and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.